Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon, this is Marcello Rolando. And this is the Reasonable Voices radio show. My guest today, well, he's a great friend and colleague. It's Claire Myers, Ph.D., who is... Claire, what's your title over there? Well, first of all, welcome, Claire, to the show. Well, thank you. I'm (laughs) glad to do this with you. Um, My title is Executive Director of the Wayne Theater Alliance. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I know you wear many hats uh, in radio yourself, of course, and as director and producer and artistic director, a lot of things. But you're the executive director of the Wayne Theater Alliance, and that's why we're calling today to talk to Claire because we often hear about theaters struggling and going out of business, but Claire has done the exact opposite. So I guess, first of all, Claire Myers, Ph.D., in case I wasn't clear on that. When did you relocate to Central Virginia, or more specifically, I guess, to Waynesboro, Virginia? And and from Uh, where? We came came down here in 2004, somewhere towards the end of summer. My wife grew up in Monterey, Virginia, which is about an hour away from us up in the mountains. She decided that she wanted to go back to the pulpit, and so we moved down here. And I cast it around for some things to be involved with. So I was on the Historic Commission and the Cultural Commission. And through the Cultural Commission, I uh, learned about the Wayne Theater Alliance, Mm. then got to be on their board in about 2005. And at the end of 2005, the uh, Wayne Theater Alliance had uh, raised enough money that it could finally hire a staff, and I applied for that job, mm-hmm. and I started 10 years ago this month. Oh, wow, congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> well, longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 uh, it's good to have long-range thinking, and you certainly have that and have uh, plotted away, I'll tell you. It's, it's a magnificent yeah, story, and we're going to talk about it today. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Was there something you wanted to add to that? Oh, no, I was just going to say, 
Part of the, what's been great about this job for me is that it's called on everything that I've done in my previous lives. For most of, of that time, from the time I was 22 to 56, I was a um, professor and administrator, and I did some fundraising. And then when I uh, decided to retire early and uh, moved to be with my family in Pennsylvania. I got involved with the professional theater up there, and, mm. and the, I was a director of development for uh, Open Stage of Harrisburg, and I directed in the area, and I acted and whatnot. And then coming here, this job has called upon all of those skills mm. that I've uh, been able to put together. So it's been a great capstone to my long career. You know, I, I believe that. I, I think it's sometimes hard to recognize in the moment. But when you look back on a, a few decades, just a few, as you and I have, <laughs> you, you and you can see the line, you can see the arc, if you will. That's why that happened, and that's why that happened. And then you really feel like I'm in the right place. Uh, it's a wonderful feeling, a wonderful feeling. Okay, let's now talk about some of the history of, of the Wayne Theater. Like, um, I mean, it has quite a long history. It was once a vaudeville and silent movie yeah, house. It, yeah, 90 years ago this month, oh. it opened as a, uh, a silent film and vaudeville house. It had a, uh, an organ which... Um, and its publicity uh, was cited as the most expensive organ in the state of Virginia. <laughs> it was a pipe organ, and it had a uh, orchestra pit. Um, mm. And when we were doing some ex excavations, we discovered the kind of tunnel that went under the old stage and came into that area, wow. and a platform on the side of it where the organ had been, so that the organist could sit there and watch the film and, and accompany it during the course of it. So it opened in 26, in January. 1926, and yes. it never really became a vaudeville house. I think part of that was the talkies came in fairly soon, uh -huh. and vaudeville just started to fade. Yes. It would have been ideal because Waynesboro was at the crossroads of an east-west, north-south railroads, and uh -huh. so it was... You know, which was the key to the traveling of vaudeville um, artists during that period of time. But it just never seemed to have, have developed that, although it did have the Wayne Orchestra, which would give concerts before they showed a film, which I found kind of fascinating. Wow. That is fascinating. You know, for those of us too young to remember vaudeville... <laughs> yeah, right. Neither you nor I. Yes, that's right. Except the early days of... <laughs> that's when you saw all those those vaudevillians that, come back and do things. That's right, like Sid Caesar and uh, you know all all those guys. Or um, even older, I remember Sophie Tucker and uh, oh wow, uh, Al Jolson and all those people. So so it was a different world back then. It, it it was, and sometimes people confuse vaudeville with burlesque, and sometimes they vaudeville and burlesque sort of. Uh, collaborated, if that's the correct word. But it's it was a different time, and I think, on a very different scale, uh, the, the Rockefeller Center, the Rockettes and all that... Oh, the Radio City. Yeah, thank you. Radio City uh, Music Hall kind of tries to hold on to some of that in the 21st century, right. do you, do you right. think? 
exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I thought about uh, one of the uh, things that um, when they opened the Wayne Theater that they could do was this was vaudeville. I think it was the title I was throwing out at the time at which they would show uh, silent films with an uh, organist and then a, yeah. a series of stage shows, you know, tap dancers and a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, ballroom dancing and uh, barbershop quartet, all the kinds of things that were back in the uh, 20s and early 30s, the staple of American entertainment. Wow. You know, and, and although we've certainly become very high-tech, digital, and 21st century in all of this, still music for movies, not with organ um, on the premises, but there is an orchestra in a studio watching the movie, and of course the music has been composed, but they're making certain that they are recording in time with what they are. the conductor's actually seeing the screen. So it's, um, while it has evolved digitally and technologically, it's still basically the same formula, yes? Right, no question. You know, if you watch an old silent movie without any sound mm -hmm. behind it, you can, and then you uh, juxtapose that with what we hear and when we watch a contemporary film, you can just see why in the old days there would have been music that was played. And sometimes full orchestras playing it as well. Phantom of the Opera, I think, was scored oh. for a full orchestra. That's right, that's right. And I can see the the original silent movie actor's face, but I can't think of his name. Was it, it wasn't Lon Chaney, was it? Who was the original Phantom? Yeah. I think he was in the oh. Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Right. All right, well, yeah, let's... That was one of the early movies here, actually. Oh, Okay, back back to the Wayne. This has been great, but getting back to the Wayne Theater Alliance and the Wayne Theater and its transition, what um, what happened in 1949? Well, they, you know, this was boom times in the United States after mm, World, World War, War II, II and certainly was that in Waynesboro. General Electric and Dupont were here, plus some other things. So. The owners of the of the Wayne went in and uh, tore everything out, so almost none of the historic elements were left, mm. and they expanded the theater and put in a, a curved wall for a cinemascope screen, just did away with all of the historic 1926 stuff. And that lasted for 30-some years, and then there mm. was a fire that started, I was told, in the concessionary. Somebody left on the, um, I think, the butter for popcorn and it caught fire and burned out concession area and the balcony mm. and they came back in 1980 mm -hmm. and divided the theater if you think about a, a lot of downtown theaters during that period of time which got divided into uh, two or more oh, screens yes. yes and so they did that and uh, they limped along with that for about 20 years and then closed it down completely and sold it to the city for a dollar. And the place was shuttered. Oh, my goodness. And that was about 2000? Yes, it was exactly in 2000. Mm. And there was uh, some of the things I've read. There was a real move by some people to just tear the building down and put a parking lot downtown. Uh, when you think back of what Waynesboro was in the... So in that period of time, it was really a dying downtown because GE was moving out of here and uh, DuPont was cutting back. So the need for a parking lot didn't seem to be too great because mm. the retail had moved all out to the interstate. 
And there were a, a number of uh, people who were involved in the arts that didn't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. And so they formed a group called the Wayne Theater Alliance in 2000 and uh, worked with the city to get a incorporate themselves and to do a uh, 501c3 nonprofit mm. organization. Mm-hmm. And then started this long journey to find this, the resources to restore the theater and make it into a center for the performing arts. Wow. You know, I know yeah. we've talked about this before, Wayne, but every time I hear this story, it's just, and of course, it, the story isn't over at our last conversation. You're still doing it, and then when we speak again, you're still on this journey, but but there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that's for certain, and so much has happened. I, um, because I love history, when I relocated in, in uh, central Virginia, I would just, uh, I, I loved history, and of course I'd been to Charlottesville before, et cetera, and surrounding areas. Even before Montpelier was restored, I had, driving on the back roads, I had s- slipped in a little place and stepped over the, a chain and walked onto the grounds and met the uh, caregivers and the guys who were who were uncovering all the, hit. I mean, it was just a fascinating area for me. And one of the places I visited just by driving over the mountain on a back road, I think Route 250, I ended up in a place called Waynesboro. And that was some years ago. And I, uh, even though it was probably much later than the time that you're describing when it was uh, sort of closing down, it still was, you know, a, a quick drive through if if one wanted to do that. But there was a lot there, and I'd get out and walk up and down the streets. It was great. But you are impacting on downtown, not not just the building, the Wayne Theater that has gone through several transitions, as you've mentioned, but you are, you have created a performing arts center that is opening in March 2016, yes? Correct, that's right. And, you know, before that, part of the, the goal of saving the building was not just simply to have the building there and have it available for entertainment, but uh-huh. really was to uh, bring the financial health back to downtown. Yes. And for a period of time, for three years, the Wayne Theater Alliance had a storefront venue called the Gateway. Yes, I want to talk about uh, that. When it first opened, there was one restaurant downtown, and when it closed, there were three immediately. Uh, in the area, and parking became a problem for people. When we first opened, you could park almost in front of the gateway and yes. walk in, and by the time we closed down there, you had to go all the way down to Constitution Park. So that was always been a, um, a driving force for the Wayne, and you can see that that growth in terms of downtown uh, eating and uh, the retail shops has continued to be a part of what we're about and and it's it, Waynesboro has changed radically yes you know I, I've um, I've directed and worked with you at the gateway and 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 what I right. like about that part of your story and the Wayne theater story and the Wayne theater Alliance is you started where you were there was no okay let's wait until it's easier or you know you know, everybody's for it. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. You started where yeah. you were. And the gateway, as you say, was a store. I mean, it, it was a storefront. It was a store, I believe, at one point, wasn't it? And, oh, yeah. It started out as a, 
actually, I think it would be, at one point was part of a hotel back in the 19th century. Uh, yes. And then it was a, a store. And when we, uh, I did, a, I do a thing called the uh, River City Radio Hour, yes. which mm-hmm. is a, a little bit like Prairie Home Companion. Uh-huh. And we rented that space from the uh, church that had taken it over. We would be there on Friday once a month, and then they'd convert back to being a church on the following Sunday. So mm-hmm. when they left to go to another facility, we decided, well, this is something we ought to try out to see if we really can produce. And it was wonderful. We, I, can't, I don't remember now the total number of performances that we did down there, but it was in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was a whole range of things. The things that you did with us down there, the jazz concerts, mm-hmm. the comedy night, etc. Yeah, it was a great uh, learning experience for the Alliance, and it was a good thing for the town, and it was fun. It was, it was fun. And as you say, it, it was a rehearsal. I mean, at its best, it was wonderful standing on its own. I mean, some great work was done in there. As you say, radio and music and, and plays, uh, show, all of that. But it was also a rehearsal for WTA. I mean, you, you had this vision as collectively as well as individually on what you wanted to happen up the street. And yet, by working at the Gateway, everything sort of advanced uh, in that direction, including downtown Waynesboro. I mean, I, I, re- right. I remember, uh, I think the first time I drove over, there was there was no restaurant. And then the next time I came by, there was. I remember when I could park in front of the gateway. And then I remember when I couldn't. So uh, at least as a spectator, I've been a part of your history, right. I'll say. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, you know, people always talk to me about, well, it's taken so long. It's been about, it's, you know, it'll be 16 years, mm. not quite totally that when we open. Uh, and, you know, comparable kind of projects like this take more years. Yes. I, I think uh, the Paramount, for instance, was 30 years from the time it closed to the time it reopened. Mm-hmm. And uh, so unless there's somebody with very deep pockets and a great interest, these projects take a long time. It's true. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk more about well, we won't stop talking about the past because I want to know about the architects and the design and what you went through. But but we want to talk about what's coming up in March for the Wayne Theater, which is now the Ross, I believe, Performing Arts Center. But we'll be back with our guest today. Don't go away. Stay with us. I'm talking to Claire Myers, Ph.D., who is the executive director of the Wayne Theater Alliance. But he wears many hats, radio, director, actor, I forgot to mention before, very fine actor. And I'm going to stop talking, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. What would you call a film that took 12 years to complete? In this case, nothing short of a cinematic masterpiece. Richard Linklater began shooting Boyhood in 2002 when his star, Eller Coltrane, was not yet eight and adorable in his innocence. 
When the film wrapped in 2013, Mason, Eller's character, was 18. He had weathered good days and bad, demonstrated a wide range of behavior, both good and bad, and headed off to college. Mason was a typical American youth. There's nothing radically different about him. His problems are simply recognizable as challenges of growing up in America today. The genius of the film resides in its almost time-lapse elements. Incredibly, Linklater completed boyhood in 39 days of actual filming, meeting once a year for only a few days. It will be remembered as special for capturing the passage of time more comprehensively than any other coming-of-age film is ever again likely to do. We watch the same actors gradually morph physically and emotionally into who they will unpredictably become. The process offers us a universal picture of how time and life experience changes us, how the human animal matures, and how American cultural values have evolved. The payoff? A singularly unique work of artistry. Boyhood. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today, Claire Myers, Ph.D., who is the executive director of the Wayne Theatre Alliance and who has been very busy with tremendous vision for the last oh, 10 to 16 years at not only transforming an historic uh, old silent movies building into a performing arts center, but by doing so transforming the downtown of Waynesboro and certainly having a positive economic effect as well as artistic uh, impact on the on a city, for heaven's sake. I mean, I, I just think, I think that's wonderful. When we were off air uh, between segments, Claire and I were uh, musing about his possible retirement, but if he does... I wish you all the best, Claire, but I have to say, whether Claire retires or not, he can look back with, I think, with tremendous pride. You know, he came here, and look what he's done. So let's talk more about that. Let's, let's, I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's not, you know, it's not, uh, I'm only one of many people that are responsible for this, so I don't, I don't want anyone to think I'm taking the in any way the full credit for this but i've endured <laughs> yes <laughs> as, as have others and i want to talk about some of those others for instance when did the the architects at uh, bushman and dreyfus get interested in the wayne and what did you and the team the wta team have to do with with that how did that come about and and what was the result well, yeah. Yeah, it, actually, it started before I did here. The um, WTA had a, um, a, I don't know you call it a competition, but they uh, put out uh, a word that they wanted to select an architectural firm to take over the designing of the auditorium or of the, of the building. Mm -hmm. And uh, the result of that was that they chose Bushman and Dreyfus in Charlottesville as the uh, architects. And when I came on board in um, 2006, mm -hmm. uh, we started working with them uh, to finalize uh, the plans for the building. Mm -hmm. And what I find, looking back on it, uh, interesting is that originally the whole focus was on the auditorium, the mm -hmm. old movie auditorium, and bringing it back so that you had a stage that had wings and a fly system. So it could function for a number of art forms, from dance to music to theater, 
whatnot. Mm. A, a pretty plush lounge on the first floor mm -hmm. and bathrooms on the second floor, and then that was it. And then we, um, when WTA operated the gateway downtown for those three years, it was discovered that there were a lot of other needs that um, the auditorium in and of itself would not fill. For instance, we ran a series of historic lectures uh, mm. down at the Gateway mm -hmm. um, once a month, and we had meetings that would come in there and, and use the space as well. We had those small theater things for, like from the Hamner that you were involved with yes. and uh, um, some of the that uh, short play festival we did for a couple of years right. some film that we put there so the the outcome of that was the rethinking of the building in which the auditorium is still focused on being a a space for all of the arts mm -hmm. but we we decided to move a few of the other things around so the building now when it opens in march will have a fully functional theater auditorium it'll have a quite large meeting space upstairs which will have a technology so that you can do lectures and meetings and whatnot and connect to the internet etc mm -hmm. and it has a black box uh what we call the cabaret the custom cabaret mm -hmm. at the back of it so really the whole building now is a center for the performing arts in the in the grandest meaning of that, not just a refurbished auditorium. Mm. So it's going to be a, a pretty unique around here. In the auditorium, um, I think as I look around this part of the world, mm. um, except on a college campus, I don't think you're going to find an auditorium like that. It's, it seats about 385 mm -hmm. with another six seats for um, handicap. Mm. It's got a hydraulic a lift for an orchestra, so which comes up to oh. multiple levels. It's got a uh, fly system, counterweight fly system, which presently has 14 lines, one of which is a movie screen. Oh. There is a projector built into the balcony so that we'll be able to show commercial films mm -hmm. uh, as well as other things in there. Uh, there are good wing spaces on each side. The floor is uh, wooden on uh, sleepers, so it is right for dance to go in there. Oh, wow. And, so it's just so the building really is going to be um, something remarkable, especially for a town of this size and in this area of central Virginia. You know, I again, I, I when I think about uh, driving through Waynesboro seven or eight years ago, and now I, and of course I've been there since, uh, uh, primarily because I wanted to photograph the progress of the building and and reconstruction and restoration and everything is expanded. I, so I can't wait to come back and get photos of the finished product. But um, yeah, you, you need to come through. I mean, when I yes. take people through on the tour to uh -huh. show them what we're about, every single person, they, their mouth, their jaw kind of drops, and they say, I had no idea. It's so much more than I ever thought it could be. Well, so you know, it's... my jaw is dropping just listening to you des describe <laughs> it, you, you know. And, of course, I've been there when the workers were kind enough to let me uh, take photographs as they were working on it, too. So I have sort of seen it as it was developing, but it, but the way you describe it is actually the greatest uh, illustration of what 
has transpired. It's just amazing. And I, I will be there, I promise you. And I want a tour. But, you know, speaking of which, are tours formally offered? And do you want to let us know how one can... Uh, yeah, if uh, someone were interested, they could call the office, which is 540-943-9999. And um, we'd arrange to meet them. And uh, I'd be glad or somebody here to, to walk them through and explain what's going on. We will officially open in March, but uh, we can still go through the building at the present time. Okay. So I was going to ask questions like that, but uh, that's good. We got it. Tell me, you know, though, going stepping back just a bit in time, we all, some, some, of course, think the Great Recession is still going on, but certainly it hit everybody uh, in 2008. And I just wonder how you were sort of right at the beginning uh, stages of, okay, now we're ready to take off, to launch the, uh, you know, the your capital campaign, et cetera, and then, wow, bingo, the Great Recession 2008. How did that, what did that do to you guys? Well, it really slowed up the project. I think if we, if that had not happened, we probably would have opened uh, maybe two years ago, something Mm. like that, Mm. maybe even a bit earlier than that. But, you know, it was staying the course through all of that. And um, we had some... uh, we developed some very good friends who have made substantial uh, contributions to the building. Virginia and uh, uh, Paul Ross, for whom the building is named, mm-hmm. uh, were marvelous for us. And the Custon Cabaret, um, Gene Custon, who was a member of our board, uh, has uh, contributed a great deal, and uh, GE with her. And so, you know, it, but it, it did slow us down. Um, people were less ready to get money in 2008 sure. than they had been when we first kicked off in 2007. So it took a while for that all to write. And the building is using uh, historic tax credits. Mm-hmm. And those were pretty straightforward back uh, about three years ago. In, in, and all the language was you were selling the tax credits to a business that needed to reduce their tax liabilities. And uh, there was a lawsuit uh, by Internal Revenue about that that changed the whole dynamic of uh, how those tax credits could be used. And that, uh, you know, really put a a damper on uh, both the people that were investing in them and Um. using them and uh, people like us who had them available but were trying to find somebody to partner and to, you could no longer say buy, but to use them. Mm-hmm. So this building has, you know, it's five to six million dollars worth of tax credits going into this. So that slowed us down another step along the way. You know, uh, and I'm not being trite when I say this uh, um, or trivializing it at all, Claire, but this would be a great movie. I mean, this whole thing, this interview, <laughs> this story of the, you know, the theater, the people, the town, the WTA, the team. Uh, I mean, it's like a movie script, and and yeah, it has a happy a ending. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we can still do that, you know, you and I. <laughs> I don't know. We, we can still do that. Let's talk about that another time. But. Um, okay. So you um, you officially occupy the new Wayne Theater, the Ross Performing Arts Center, 
in March. Do we have a grand opening date that we should be planning for? Well, there are there there's stage there's a formal legal opening of the theater, which uh-huh. is when we get a certificate of occupancy, which means that the building is safe for people to be in it. Mm-hmm. We have a temporary CO that we got at the end of December, which allowed us to meet some of the requirements for the tax credits, but they're working away now to finish off the certificate of occupancy mm-hmm. requirement, and they're almost finished with that. So somewhere probably... Uh, in the next week or so, we'll have that uh, certificate, and we'll start doing some things and testing out, you know, what might happen somewhere. Like there might be a meeting, and there might be a, a group that came in to perform something or the other on the stage. But the real opening uh, is going to be March fourth. Okay. Um, Virginia is very fortunate with the Commission for the Arts. It has a roster of artists that it vents and then um, gives funds to uh, places to bring those artists there and pays up to 50% of the cost of them. Hmm. We have a number of those coming in now, um, and the uh, first one is on March 4th with Robin and Linda Williams, who mm-hmm. will be a, the first, I think, which you would call performance on the on the Wayne Auditorium, and they're they're local in the sense that they live in Central Virginia. But mm-hmm. if you know anything about them, they're really national stars. They appear on the Prairie Home Companion with great regularity, and they travel around the United States doing mm-hmm. uh, concerts. I think I was just looking; they're in California and Arizona and Texas, that sort of thing. So they're the first. I guess you could call it a gala, although um, I would. I think probably there's going to be something a little bit later that'll be a, a little bit bigger than that. But that's sure. the first major production there. Oh, fantastic! Uh, so, do you feel like it's it's been a long haul, or has it as you does it just go by in a blink and all of a sudden you're there? <laughs> well, I think it's like life, you know, that the the past gets shorter all the time. <laughs> yes. You know, the longer it gets, the shorter the time seems. You know, ten years. I I didn't feel like I've been doing this for ten years. Mm-hmm. My wife would probably uh, uh, correct me on that, <laughs> yes. but um, it's been a good challenge to yes. make this happen. Uh, and I think, um, like all of these kinds of uh, facilities, there's another challenge coming, which is how do you keep this thing going mm. and make it financially viable? How do you bring audiences in that you uh, that can sustain the economic uh, um, needs of the building. The Shenandoah Jamboree, which is a country music show out of, that had been doing its uh, monthly shows out of um, the Shenandoah Caverns, and it, it's also broadcast on uh, public TV. Mm-hmm. It is moving here, so oh, the, yeah. the real challenge for the future is to find those kind of things that are going to be um, not just draws for the local population, but which really are, um, for want of a better word, a tourist uh, sure. destination. Sure. So, and you know, it's, a, it's another whole sense, a whole set of, of uh, 
challenges coming. Tell me about, uh, just it's not totally off subject, but I'm just wondering, do you have any information you can share with us who might be thinking of coming to the area to visit and, of course, to to see the new and improved Ross uh, Performing Arts Center. How is, how is the hotel, you know, business, as you say, has improved a great deal, especially since all the work, the artistic work that WTA has been doing. But are there hotels available there now? Most of the hotels are out uh, at the interstate. Okay. Uh, there, there, you know, a number of them out there that you go Holiday Inn Express is there and Best Western and two or three others. We have a lot of uh, bed and breakfasts in the area. And, you know, if you, uh, what I, I, a long time ago, I put together these uh, projected packages that, mm. you know, you could come in, for instance, uh, come in on uh, after work on Friday from Northern Virginia and stay overnight at uh, one of the bed and breakfast or the motels, get up in the morning and you go off to maybe the Moss Museum mm-hmm. um, and then uh, have lunch somewhere and do a winery tour mm-hmm. and then come back to your hotel and then come to the Wayne Theater to see uh, some you know, show whether it's uh, Shenandoah Jamboree or uh, the Radio Hour mm-hmm. or something else, and then go back to a hotel after a good dinner downtown mm-hmm. and go home the next day. So I love it. We really, uh, you know, we are what Charlottesville is the same way, but we're closer to the Skyline Drive and the yes. and the uh, Shenandoah National Park, and there are literally millions of people that go up and down that. So those um, drives, sure. so bringing them down into Waynesboro is really part of what uh, the task is going to be. And Waynesboro is in the process right now of uh, supporting the move to bring a satellite center for the Virginia Natural History Museum here. Oh, wow. And once that comes in and down by the river so that we kind of, between that museum and the Wayne Theater, we bridge downtown Waynesboro, and we're already working with them. They're going to do their annual um, the Jefferson Award is going to be done in the Wayne Auditorium. Yeah. They're doing uh, science lectures on the first Tuesday of each month, starting in March, and so uh, we will be a. Uh, they will be good partners with us. Excellent. Once again, it's a you know it's a broad stroke you have uh, wrought here, uh, you and WTA team, uh, Claire. It's uh, no stone unturned. I mean, just amazing. I I I'm so overwhelmingly impressed. I'm I'm almost speechless, and you know that doesn't happen for me. But we do need to we do need to go soon. Are there any team members you want to mention and a website and? You know, tell us how we can get in touch sure, and sure. support. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, um, the board that we have is a really great board. John Curry, who was the chair of our capital campaign, died um, not quite a year ago now, oh. and that was left a big hole right in the midst of everything. Yes. And to the care of the, uh, of the board, um, Bill Hossrath, uh, has really done a yeoman's job mm. of uh, keeping this thing on track. Uh, just as a side story to this, the original um, chair of the Wayne Theater Alliance was a woman named uh, Lillian Morris, and she uh, had been an actress uh, back in the days mm. of our gang comedy, if you can mm. believe that. Wow. And the Tri-County, I think she started that, and then she ended up over in Waynesboro, 
and uh, did a lot of work with the Waynesboro players. Mm-hmm. And so when this building came available, she she really spearheaded the group to try to save it. She was uh, diagnosed with cancer after about a year and a half of that. Mm-hmm. And her husband told me that she looked around town and said, there's only one person that I think can make this happen, and that's Bill Hosrath. And so mm-hmm. she called into her house and on what Bill says, her deathbed made him promise that he would see this through to the end, and he has. Mm, wow. And that, a great story. That's a great story. And um, literally so many, they're just people who've dedicated their life to this. Well, tell us the website. Tell us, give us a physical okay, address. Yeah, we have, yeah. uh, our website is um, www.waynetheater, and that's, it was spelled R-E, not E-R, dot org. And um, um, you will be able to link up to the um, to the Ross Center through that. And uh, soon you'll be able to purchase your tickets that way mm-hmm. and uh, see previews of things that are coming, etc. All right. Excellent. This has been a really wonderful and heartwarming movie-like interview. Uh, I tell you, it's just, it's a happy ending and a tremendous uh, rebirth, if you will, artistically, economically. I mean, Waynesboro is fortunate to have uh, the WTA, and of course the WTA is fortunate to have all those people in Waynesboro who have supported this process uh, for over a decade at least. I have been talking to Claire Myers, Ph.D., who is the executive director of the Wayne Theatre Alliance, and we've been talking about the restoration of the Wayne Theatre, now housed within the Ross Performing Arts Centre in downtown Waynesboro, Virginia, set in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I mean, it's magnificent. It's very close to Interstate 64. Uh, So... Come come visit is what I have to say. Any parting words from uh, you, Claire, you want to leave with us? Y'all come, I guess. <laughs> That's it. Thank you so much, Claire, for being on the show. And, of course, I am going to come see you very soon. And I wish you all the best and continuing rewarding life, okay? Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Are you counted among those who enjoy talking head movies featuring long conversations and little action? Or do you tend to shun such films? If the former, you're going to love this one. And if you're a shunner, here's reason for exception. Take a look at the end of the tour. This is a conversation we'd all want to sit in on. It takes place over a five-day period in 1996, during which David Foster Wallace, the noted young author of the lengthy novel Infinite Jest, is interviewed by Rolling Stone reporter David Lipsky, played respectively by Jason Segel and Jesse Eisenberg. Their conversations come at the end of Wallace's book tour promoting his novel, a lengthy combination of nutty comedy, philosophy, and political satire. Their topics range over the nature of fame, television, jealousy, dogs, depression and suicide, the chasm between appearances and reality, life and death, and, reluctantly, drugs and alcohol. As Lipsky prods, their friendship grows quarrelsome, yet Wallace's responses remain surprisingly candid and often outrageously funny. 
audiences seem to want to join right in. Wallace is wise beyond his appearance, yet still vulnerable and afraid. His honest and unrehearsed insights into what we are and are not as humans are significant mind-benders. The end of the tour. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Too many secrets. Not knowing about the politically imprisoned former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman or the private rich and powerful men's Bohemian Grove Club or what happened to the electric car and why is not the problem. Not being interested enough to investigate, however, is our national life and death choice. It seems now that knowledge is the only power left to us, so let's not waste it by continuing to look for the root of our free society demise in ISIL, China's economy, or Putin's Russia. The secrets we seek are seamlessly interwoven in our national fabric by the overseers. You know, robber barons attempted coup, Truman in SACIA marriage, the Dulles Brothers' military-industrial complex, Number 41 Empire Dallas hit on Number 35 Dynasty, Wolfowitz, Rumsfeld, and Cheney New War Order, Trumped voters succumbing to Cruz hypocrisy, Corporate pretend news media, Climate injustice, Environmental buffoonery. Without questioning the powers that be, is it enough to acknowledge the existence of political hacks, PACs, and the Bilderberg Group? What really happened with Prescott and FDR, George H.W. and CIA, GWB and Social Security, and Karl Rove after televised tearful White House farewell? Aren't we just a little bit curious about how our Pentagon lost track of $8.5 trillion? Could it be the foggy bottom of war? And how much of our tax dollars are spent on government covert activities like domestic spying offering up our personal and private information for corporate bottom lines? If one president can transform an imprisoned island into a private prison, why can't another most powerful man in the world close Guantanamo? And whatever happened to our senior citizens' $1.37 trillion, number 43 Bush, borrowed from Social Security to finance Iraq war while granting tax cuts to those who don't need trickle-down subsidies? Should we wonder as we wander in tunnel vision maze about Wall Street's secret government haze? Isn't it beyond predictable that third-in-line slave owner ultimately couldn't protect our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without our declaring democracy isn't a spectator sport? Was Jefferson's warning about unchecked power of corporations and banks time-sensitive? How about now? How many know this open secret? The Fed, neocons, want shut down is not run by the federal government they want to shut down. From silver certificate to Federal Reserve note, the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank is more private oil cartel than agency of, by, and for the people. 
DoesBlackLivesMatter.com understand how black gold, white supremacists, and selective media coverage tea stain America's rainbow? If not, it certainly knows protesting corporatism's income centers does more to keep the republic for which we stand than camping tent-ensconced in parks with laptops. Why not focus our right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances in the lobbies and executive parking lots of Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Citibank, and on social media of Exxon New, Philippines nemesis Chevron, under-the-table double-dealing Shell Oil, Gulf Destroyer, BP, and, of course, in the hallways of Congress. While it still actually matters who the president is, do we really want to elect puppets of water supply poisoners, methane gas leakers, coal ash distributors, misanthropic climate deniers, bigots, and those prone to incite violence against hyphenated Americans? You know, when I was a child, I always wanted to be Zorro and save damsels in distress. But when I became a man, I realized not only is the pen mightier than the sword, it's stronger than oligarchy, more rational than open carry, and more honorable than GOP presidential candidates. Whatever our politics, America will be the best it can be to the degree all of we the people emulate Abraham Lincoln, Alice Paul, Emma Lazarus, the New Deal, John F. Kennedy, Rosa Parks, Bobby Kennedy, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and if necessary, maybe even Bradley Manning and Edward Snowden. Questions? Of course. So start asking, seeking, and knocking, because we all know there are too many secrets. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. <laughs>